This is Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. This episode is brought to you by Tuparev Technologies. It's episode 33 for July 14th, 2020. And I have a treat for you today. Remember a couple of episodes ago when we talked about what was new from Apple at the Worldwide Developers Conference with specific emphasis on accessibility? Well, we've learned a lot since WWDC happened, uh, but we're going to learn even more today because I had a chance to go directly to the source. Last year, about this time, I got to talk to Sarah Herlinger, who is Director of Global Accessibility Policy and Initiatives at Apple. And she was kind enough to give me a few minutes of her time this year as well. And she brought along Dean Hudson, who is an engineer on the Apple accessibility team. We had a limited amount of time, and so we didn't get to talk about all of the new accessibility features in the various platforms or all the implications of the platform changes for accessibility, but we did talk about some of the major ones, and I got to ask a couple of questions that I haven't heard answered elsewhere, so I hope that this will be of value for everyone out there who's curious about what Apple has coming with accessibility. We'll certainly be talking more about it as the beta and release cycles go forward, uh, but for now, sit back and relax and enjoy a conversation with Sarah Herlinger and Dean Hudson, and I'll be back in about half an hour or so with a wrap-up. I'm talking with Sarah Herlinger and Dean Hudson from the Apple Accessibility Team. Sarah, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, Shelley, it's wonderful to talk to you as well. Thanks for letting us join you today. Thanks so much for taking the time. And Dean, it's great to talk to you as well. Oh, wonderful to be here. Well, uh, we're just a couple of weeks out from another big Worldwide Developers Conference, very different conference this year, obviously. Uh, and I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, Sarah and Dean, what are your big takeaways from WWDC uh, from an accessibility perspective? Well, it's been a another great year for us. You know, we're really, really excited at the, the work. And it's always fun this time of year to be able to share with the world all of the work that the team has been doing over not just the last year, but you know, could projects that take two to three years to to bring to fruition. It's great to finally have a chance to let everyone know what we're doing and and show off the the work. Yeah, that must be a relief to finally be able to talk about things that you, you've had under wraps for a while. Well, there's a lot of new stuff for uh, voiceover and for uh, low vision users, so I thought we just should plow right in. Uh, voiceover recognition is getting a, a lot of attention, and I just love for you to explain what that feature is, and is that what it's going to be called? Uh, currently, it is called screen recognition. Ah. But yes, uh, it is a new voiceover feature, and it takes advantage of the machine learning technology uh, and the sort of on-device learning technology that, that we've been working on for a few years uh, in our hardware. Um, and, you know, with screen readers, we're constantly trying to figure out not just how to make a screen reader more powerful, but how do we make a screen reader more sort of customizable to you as the user? And I think across all of software at Apple, we're, we're trying to do that more and more, make these devices much more personable as they become much more our go-to devices. Uh, and, and when we're talking about technology. So what we did last year, we sort of snuck this in, but you might've noticed in iOS 13, we started to say things like button, possibly play, or button, possibly order. And what we were doing there is sort of detecting labels. So if there was a button or an item that did not have an AX text label, 
we would use some heuristics and artificial intelligence to determine what that button possibly could be. And then we would give it the text. Um, and that worked out pretty good. Um, what's funny is you know, I worked with engineering team on this feature, but I was surprised when I saw it in there. Um, but anyway, that sort of the start. And then we took it a lot further this year. So more than just labels, now we can actually determine what that element is. So if it's a slider or if it's a table or if it's a radio button, um, we can now sort of use artificial intelligence to tell what it is, use machine learning to determine what it is. And it's really fantastic because, you know, we work with developers, third party developers all the time. And while we help them and encourage them to, to make their apps accessible, you know, sometimes it just, uh, things don't happen the way we'd like them to. But, so we want our users to have the best experience when using their apps. Um, and so that's kind of what that does. How do you make sure that developers understand that they still have a lot of options when it comes to creating accessibility within their own apps and, and that they don't sort of feel like, well, Apple's got it taken care of with screen recognition? Ah, well, this actually works, I think, it works the opposite, right? Because if you're an app developer, and we've seen extreme passion from developers uh, that really want to do the right thing, Sometimes they just not sure what to do, but they want to do the right thing. And when they turn on this screen recognition and they're navigating over an item and it says possibly table, to a developer, I would think you'd say, no, that's not possibly a table. That is a table. Let me go in my code now and fix this. So, so it says the right thing. So that's kind of the, the reaction we're, we really are hoping for. So it's kind of so it's sort of a debugging tool for them in some cases. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> now, my understanding is it's not going to be available on all devices. So tell me, tell me what the, the system requirements are going to be for screen recognition. And so I believe that it will work on the 10SX um, and then 11 on up. So those are the devices it should work on. So not the 10R and no iPads at this point? Well, so it will work on devices that support the neural chip. Um, Got it. Yeah. It, there's, a, there's a hardware component to it in that it needs the, the Apple neural engine. And so the team has been working to make sure that as many of the devices that support that are, uh, are available. But that is in the iPhone and it is from um, the 10s forward. Uh, is what we're working on. Got it. And in screen recognition, you're also enhancing the image recognition component too, are you? So that's a separate technology. It, it sometimes gets slurred together. But so the image technology is something that we we did a little bit last year, but this year we're sort of making it have more context. So for instance, uh, last year you took a picture uh, at a, a, a someone dining in a restaurant it might say two people sitting at a table uh, with plates or something like that. Now, visually, that's what you see, but your brain interprets what that is. So now we'll say two people enjoying a meal at a restaurant. So it gives more context to what's going on. To also just add in one thing to give a little bit of context. Um, 
the within voiceover, the new sub menu is voiceover recognition. And then within voiceover recognition, you've got a couple of different options there, which include that screen recognition, image descriptions, and text recognition. So for somebody who's navigating through uh, iOS 14, they may they'll come upon a new section and setting which gives them the option of turning these things on or off. Yeah, I didn't mention text recognition, but I know you've enhanced that as well. There's already some text recognition, I believe, but this is more, I, I mean, I know a lot of people who are frustrated when they encounter either a scanned image or say something from Twitter that's just an image. And so text recognition makes it possible to have that read through voiceover. Yeah. Right, to sort of detect the text within an yeah. image. Something you mentioned earlier uh, about development, uh, so we've done a lot of work in the uh, development space for the desktop uh, within Nextcode and Swift Playgrounds. Um, this year, this whole experience with Swift on the desktop is greatly improved. Um, and now you can access live previews with Swift, uh, which, which you couldn't do before. Uh, and then a bunch of changes to Xcode, including adding items to the rotor to allow you to navigate huge chunks of code quickly uh, to be able to get to your breakpoints. Uh, one of the things with voiceover encoding um, is spacing, so indentation. That's something that visually you can see that when code is indented, that means you're sort of in a different block of code. It's hard to get that out of a screen reader, but now we provide sort of an intention level as well as access to code completion, which is another big, big advantage uh, for using coding. And the, these things are, you know, something that we thought of for a long time about how to get people who are visually impaired into sort of the engineering coding space. Even though you, you may not want to be an engineer, but the value that you gain when you at least learn to create a program like Hello World, you know, that's, we know today that it's hard to get a job without some computer experience. But if you are blind and have a bit of coding experience, that just gives you a leg up on the competition. So we're really excited about being able to move forward uh, into this coding space. That's very exciting. I think there are a lot of people who aren't sure what accessibility coding has for them, especially in an environment as visual as Xcode is. And so that's, I'm sure a lot of people are going to really, I'm sure you're enjoying that a lot, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, this is, I came up as a computer science major, and that was not my experience when I was going through courses that I had a human reader to read the screen. And so <laughs> it, was, right. it was very different. But yeah, I mean, we're, we've, we've done sort of the Swift playgrounds on the iPad for a couple of years now. But this takes users to the next level. This is actually developing apps. And so that's what's so exciting. So for uh, low vision folks, I know there is an updated uh, magnifier. It's it's now an app. And I, I guess the two things that are most interesting for low vision folks are probably uh, magnifier and people's interest in how Big Sur is going to change the visual experience uh, for them, and so I'd I'd love to hear you you talk about the those low vision features and any anything else that I'm 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 not mentioning for low vision folks. Sure. Well, as a uh, a power user of magnifier myself, <laughs> um, 
I, uh, I, you know, it is, it is honestly one of our most popular and beloved features. Um, it is one that I think for many people, regardless of whether they self-identify as being low vision or not, um, just find it incredibly handy. So with that in mind, the team, uh, you know, really opted to try and figure out how to uh, really give it a full over, uh, you know, a, a full new look and feel for this year, a full overhaul. And um, they did it on two different levels. One was with the, the actual UI. So um, the, the way that it looks on the screen is a little different. You have a lot more um, control of the, the uh, different controllers on the screen. So it, if, you, you know, if you want it to take up less real estate, you can minimize the amount of space it takes on the screen. You can also choose what components you want to be sort of primary on the screen. So if you're someone who always zooms at the same level, so you really don't want to muck with that toggle, but you change the contrast or uh, brightness and things more, you can have that be the principal controller on the screen so that that's what you work with more than anything else. Um, you can also now, from an actual just usage perspective, you can magnify more of the area that you're pointing to. Um, and you can also capture multi-shot freeze frames. So instead of just taking one image and working with that, you can take multiple ones and you can um, filter or illuminate uh, images for better clarity. So you've got more options there. So magnifier, oh, and one of the other amazing things on magnifier that I'm really excited for is um, an iPad specific element where um, you know, iPad has the multitasking feature where you can have two apps open at the same time. Magnifier, you could open magnifier on one side while still running something else in the other. So if you imagine for say an educational environment, a student could have a page in a textbook zoomed in on on one side of the screen and magnifier open on the other so that with the camera, say it's a science experiment, they can be magnifying in on whatever it is they're doing out in the real world to be able to get that information and using Zoom um, in an app on the other side. So magnifier um, has had a lot of work and, and I think that's gonna be a really uh, fun tool for people to be using in the future. I think you're right. I think of uh, the ed educational environment specifically, there are a lot of people who are using either cameras or some sort of dedicated magnifying device. And this makes not only a lot less for them to carry and fiddle with, but it's a device they're already using. So I'm, I'm sure that like, a lot of students are really going to get something out of this feature. Yeah. Silly. Um, just, just let you know a couple things that uh, I think will be important for your audience. There's a printing called Braille on both iOS and desktop. And one of those is automatic panning. Now you can set up your Braille display so that it automatic pans based on a time that you set. And then also, with the multiple languages that we added last year, you can now switch those languages within the rotor. And that's both iOS and desktop. I just wanted you to have that. Yeah, I appreciate that. The auto panning, particularly, I've heard several people say are they're looking forward to using that as well. So thanks for including that. 
So let me ask about Big Sur, because there's a, a visual change that's pretty significant. A lot of uh, transparency, a lot of different ways that the interface is going to appear visually. And I know a lot of people with low vision are using the existing Mac OS uh, feature, accessibility features and or they're using dark mode. They're using a variety of techniques to make the interface custom for their needs. So I'm, I'm really interested in how the accessibility team has thought about uh, Big Sur in terms of visual accessibility. Yeah, um, well, I would say this year we we haven't done something like hover text where it's a brand new feature because that one when we came out with it last year was really well received and, and we've had a lot of people who have used that in terms of doing um, as an additional way to do magnification and change contrast and things like that. But this year with the UI changes, the team's focus has been one that is really something we try and do every year, which is to take the magic of what everyone else makes and make it accessible. So the team has been working on ensuring that um, all of those many different elements still work with a lot of the, the different scaffolds we have built in, like being able to increase contrast or uh, reduce motion or, you know, many, some of those types of things. It's really about just making sure that the, the awesomeness that everyone else is getting still works well for the communities that we support. Um, but I would also say we'd love feedback. So if any of your uh, listeners are people who are up for downloading the betas when they go public, um, take a look and tell us what areas are working and what aren't so that we can make sure that if there's things that we can tweak along the way, that we're aware of where um, people may find things that might be a little different and that they're, if they have a struggle, we want to know about it. So definitely write to us at accessibility at apple.com. Let me ask you about uh, some of the improvements for folks who are deaf and hard of hearing, because I know there are several, uh, one to do with uh, sign language recognition and FaceTime and the uh, new headphone feature, which I'll let you explain. But it sounds like you really focused on uh, for folks with uh, hearing disabilities this year. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as with every disability type, we know that disabilities are a spectrum. It's there isn't just one specific thing or one feature that checks a box and solves a problem. So this year there was um, some effort that was put into supporting hearing and hearing from the perspective of all the, you know, the deaf community and tools to support uh, that arena, but also to hard of hearing to people who just want to, you know, may not consider themselves to be people with hearing loss, but just want to use our technology better to just people who want to understand what their hearing health is all about and make sure that they aren't doing something that might adversely affect that um, due to long-term exposure. So in, in getting into some of those areas, I think one um, that I really want to make sure that we get out there is headphone uh, accommodations. And headphone accommodations falls into that category of really, you know, probably the widest of that area because it's everyone from someone who is hard of hearing to somebody who once again, just wants to get more out of using our technology. And what it does is it's an accessibility setting that's designed to adjust certain frequencies to amplify or dampen particular sounds and um, better tune your audio for your own individual needs. And this is meant to be used in really everything from music to movies, to phone calls, FaceTime calls, podcasts, whatever it might be. And the way that it works is um, when you go under headphone accommodations, there's a custom audio setup 
that's available there. And with that, you have the option to incorporate a personal audiogram if you have one, but otherwise you go through a series of steps that allows you to set up um, up to nine unique profiles based on your personal sound preferences. And that's basically three amplification tunings um, to three varying strengths. And um, then when you do that, it does do that element of kind of figuring out which frequencies are better or worse for you and working to make sure that the device um, therefore gives you audio in a way that you can best hear it. Now this works with AirPods Pros, with uh, um, AirPods, the second generation, um, some of our Beats headphones and with EarPods. And, but one extra thing to know is on AirPods Pro, there's an additional um, little feature in there, which is uh, around transparency mode. Um, for anyone who's a user of AirPods Pro, you know that uh, you have the option to set them to noise canceling or transparency as uh, ways to listen to um, or to use them. And now with the custom audio setup, um, for when you're using transparency mode, you will get that custom headphone accommodation um, added in there. So rather than just having the basic transparency mode, it's set in a way that um, for each individual person, the idea is that quiet voices are more audible and the outside environmental sounds are more detailed. So uh, I think a good example of this would be a, a, you know, a voiceover user who is out navigating through the world and they want to hear um, navigation commands from maps coming through their uh, AirPods Pro, but they also want to be cognizant of what's going on in the world around them and um, having that kind of contextual awareness of their surroundings. So this just gives a better opportunity to be able to have transparency mode telling you whether, you know, what's, what's happening out in the world, but also be able to still use your AirPods and get the information through the device that you need. I want to ask you really quickly about Backtap because we're running out of time, but and I, I appreciate the time that you've uh, you've made available to me uh, so far. But Backtap has gotten a lot of attention in the mainstream community, but it's an accessibility feature, and I'd like you to to talk about how uh, that's intended and and who you think will be using this feature. Yeah, um, so Backtap's intention is simplification. Um, it's the idea that there may be different actions that you use on your device that um, would be easier if you just were able to do them with a simple double or triple tap on the back of the device. You know, in my case, I have it set up that uh, double tap takes a uh, screen capture and a uh, screen grab um, and that my triple tap just closes the device. Um, and But you could do it with everything from an accessibility feature. So it could be uh, going to the accessibility shortcut or turning on and off a feature or even within something like voiceover or switch control that it actually does a very specific feature. You could also have it set up with Siri shortcuts. So if you have a very complex workflow that you've set up to do something, um, you can have that Siri shortcut just be enabled by a single, you know, by, by that double or triple tap on the back of your device. And so it's really about just giving users another really simple, easy way to accomplish something on their device. And 
when we designed it, we designed it with individuals in disability communities in mind, which is why it sits under accessibility. I mean, some of the things that we kind of tried to think through were things like, you know, if you may be someone who has a cognitive limitation and once again, a, a, a complex workflow would be hard for you to drill down through menus or go through multiple steps that you could just have this set up as something really simple and easy to remember. It could also be that you are someone who has a physical motor limitation, but you haven't graduated all the way to wanting to set up a whole switch system that just being able to do a double tap once again to enable a workflow or even a simple action is just easier for your dexterity. So we really tried to think through first and foremost how this would benefit individuals with different types of disabilities. And then absolutely we're thrilled that this is gaining a lot of interest in the mainstream. You know, we love it when accessibility features get adopted and talked about by um, individuals who aren't usually accessibility users, because that just opens up the world of accessibility to them. You know, ho we hope that someone will go, wow, I love this feature. I wonder what else is in this accessibility tab. And then they'll find other things that are helpful to them, because obviously we're all unique in how we use our technology and we can all benefit from something within the accessibility tab. So let's get more people in the world understanding what's there and using it and getting more out of their devices. That sounds like a great place to wrap it up. Sarah Herlinger and Dean Hudson, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Shelley. This episode of Parallel is brought to you by Tuparev Technologies. Tuparev Technologies strongly believes technology should be accessible to everyone. Since the founder of the company wrote the first Braille display driver for the Next Step operating system almost 30 years ago, writing accessible software has always been a priority for them. They aim to help others write better, more accessible software in a variety of fields such as education, personal assistance, and home delivery. They help their partners and clients by designing software for people with different disabilities, implementing accessibility in existing and new software products, testing existing apps and websites for current accessibility implementations, and guiding your team to create accessible software. They offer services for iOS, macOS, watchOS, tvOS, and the web. To learn more, go to tuparev.com slash parallel and contact them for more help. That's tuparev, T-U-P-A-R-E-V dot com slash parallel to learn more about Tuparev's accessible apps. Our thanks to Tuparev Technologies for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Well, there you have it. It was great to talk to Sarah and Dean about the accessibility enhancements coming to the various Apple platforms. And I would refer you back to episode 31 for a discussion of some additional accessibility features. Just a little sort of peek behind the curtain. Um, I had limited time availability uh, with Sarah and Dean. And so I wanted to make sure that when I asked them about accessibility features, that the questions were focused on not only the sort of headline grabbing features, but in some cases, asking questions about specific parts of those interfaces or behaviors like system requirements that I hadn't heard a lot of discussion about. And so that's kind of the basis for the questions I asked and why some buddy out there might be yelling at their podcast player going, well, why didn't you ask about this or that or the other thing? And the answer is time. Another answer is that things can and do change during beta cycles. 
And it's interesting that that even happens in something like accessibility as features come and go and even the way accessibility settings is organized comes and goes. And as somebody who has to write a book about this every single year, starting right about now, uh, I am very much aware that things change during the beta cycle. We will certainly be revisiting these topics as the operating systems go forward, as we learn more about when they'll be released, as we learn more about new hardware that's probably coming sometime down the road. And I think there's a lot of open questions out there. What about Catalyst apps? How are those going to behave in terms of voiceover uh, compatibility when the ARM processor Macs come out and we have iOS apps running on a Mac? Will we be interacting with iOS voiceover or macOS voiceover? Will there be some sort of blending of those implementations at some point? Those are long-term questions that, frankly, uh, would be unanswerable right now in any case, even though I'm super curious, as I'm sure a lot of people are. 